for those of you who don't know, we've been in a series called Paradigm. Read and understand the Bible. And we've been going through a paradigm, which is kind of a framework for reading and understanding the Bible. It was inspired by a podcast that the Bible Project has done within the last year or so. And it's really great stuff, and I would suggest that you listen to it if you have opportunity. You'll find the link for that in your growth guide. Uh, and we've been building a series based on that, those ideas and looking at the scriptures behind that and where they get this idea. So everyone would like to be able to read and understand the Bible, but there are a lot of sometimes barriers to that. And what we're trying to do is overcome those barriers. So let me give you the paradigm, the framework for understanding the Bible. It's one overarching theme and then some pillars that support that. And I'll bring you up to speed on that. The first, the, the, the paradigm is that the point of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. In John 5.39, Jesus himself said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. If you want to understand the Bible, then you have to understand Jesus because the point of the scriptures, the point of the Bible is to point you to Jesus. And so everything that you read, everything, every process that you go through in reading and understand the Bible it begins and ends with Jesus. Uh, so now the pillars that go behind that. The first one is that the Bible is both human and divine, that it is inspired by God, but it also God used human authors over the course of hundreds and even thousands of years in order to create preserve, protect, and deliver to us the scriptures as we have them today. So it's important not to rule out either or. Uh, it's not just a divine document that fell out of heaven, and it's not just a human process and a human product, and it's important to acknowledge both sides if you're going to read the Bible with understanding. The second one is talking about how it's a unified work. The Bible is a unified work. And the way that we've stated that is that the Bible, what the Bible teaches is true, is true. So you just can't pick little pieces out from here and there. You have to look at the Bible as a whole because what the Bible teaches is true as a whole is true. Uh, thirdly, it's messianic literature. And the way we've stated that is that the Bible is the story of God's setting things right through his son. All of us just intuitively know that the world is not as it should be and definitely not as good as it could be. So if God is good and powerful, then what is his plan for setting things right in the world? Well, it's through his son. So that's why sending his son, his son's death, burial, and resurrection uh, and now the son living in his body, the church, is God's plan for setting things right through the ages. Uh, next, the Bible is meditation literature. If you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate. And worrying is thinking about all those things that could go wrong and all the different ways that things could go wrong and how it could unfold. 
meditation is kind of the same thing, but instead of thinking about how things could go wrong, you're thinking about the scriptures and turning them over and over again in your mind, looking at them from different points of view, looking at different times in your life, and it will speak to you in different ways. The way we put it is that the Bible was designed, it was designed to do this, to prompt ongoing reflection and response. It's not just like uh, an average movie or an average book where you read it once, watch it once, and put it on the shelf. It is designed to be constantly revisited over and over again. The fifth pillar is that the Bible is wisdom literature, and the way that we put it is that the human flourishing is the goal. Human flourishing is the goal. God's plan for giving you the wisdom that you need was not to give you a reference, not to give you a dictionary, not to give you a devotional, but the story of God's interacting with his people, a narrative of that, and the, that is the process, that is the way that he imparts his wisdom to us. And why does he do that? Just like any good, decent father wants to give good advice, give good direction to his children, in the same way your loving Heavenly Father wants to give his perfect guidance and direction to you because he wants what's best for you. Human flourishing is the goal, and the way that he imparts his wisdom is in large part through the scriptures. Now, last week, for those of you who are here, you might remember that I promised that today's sermon was going to be the absolute best sermon that you have ever heard at Cornerstone or ever will hear at Cornerstone. And I can tell you that, and I know that it will be delivered upon because you are going to hear Jesus' Sermon on the Mount today. John, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter five through seven. Just so happens that my son Jonathan has memorized the Sermon on the Mount. And so I asked and he agreed to come up and present the Sermon on the Mount. And it especially fits well with what we've been talking about because um, memorizing is a way of meditating, isn't it? If you, if you have to memorize something, then you're, turning it, you're, you're going over it over and over again. Once you have it there, then you're able to kind of think about it from different perspectives. It's wisdom literature. You'll hear a lot of wisdom in the midst of this. It's Jesus who's delivering it, the Messiah, the is the focus of this passage because he's the one that is delivering this keynote message. So it fits very well with what we've been talking about, and it's very impactful. And it's also very challenging and encouraging, right? Because one of the things that I've been encouraging us to do over the course of this series, and as you can see, we're in week 10 of it, is to memorize John chapter 5 verse 39 and I always get get and given that's my that's my my sticking point that you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life but the scriptures point to me so my thought was if John can memorize three chapters 113 verses then maybe we can do one in about 15 weeks maybe <laughs> you think so John why don't you come on up and he's gonna uh, he's gonna present and then we're going to talk about it just a little bit. And then you guys will have an opportunity to talk about it in your groups. John. Hello. Okay. Can you guys hear me? All right. 
So I'll give a tiny bit of context before I actually start performing the three chapters in Matthew. Um, so like my dad was saying, I memorized it mostly to because I didn't understand the Sermon on the Mount well at all. And I was quoting Paul a lot more than Jesus. So I was like, okay, if I, w- if I want to understand Paul, and if I want to understand Peter and the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament, I really need to understand Jesus' teachings. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5 to 7, and it's the longest teaching section that Jesus ever gives in the entire Bible. And so it's really important. It's the first out of five teaching sections in the book of Matthew. And so everything around it is saying this is super important, and you need to get it into your heart and soul. And so when I started memorizing it about three years ago, the goal was I need these words to be kneaded into my brain <laughs> so that I can think about them and as I walk, just pray through them at every time. I, I can do a quiet time anywhere without a Bible, without a phone, because I can think through that passage and talk to God about it. Um, so that was like 90% of why I memorized it. The other 10 to 20% is because I want to do stuff like this and share it with people. Now, think of, put yourself in the shoes of like an early Jewish Christian in the first century. Jesus has just raised from the dead, and people are sharing his stories like crazy. It's spreading like wildfire across Israel and into the Mediterranean. They, one, books are extremely expensive to make. You having a Bible in front of you is actually new within the past, what, four, six hundred years. That's a new thing. And so for Christians and early Christians back in the day to hear the book of Matthew or the letter of Matthew, the gospel account of Matthew, someone would memorize the entire thing and they would go from church to church and quote the whole book. That's how all the letters were done from Paul. That's how all the gospels were. That was even how in a lot of cases the Old Testament books were given or at least read to a group of people, mostly illiterate or farmers or normal people. And so they would go to synagogue or they would go celebrate Christ's resurrection every week and they would hear these stories and eventually memorize them themselves. Their Bible was in their heads, not in their hands. Um, Jewish Jesus, as a Jewish boy, would have memorized the entire Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, by the time he was 13. And if he went to advanced school, he would memorize the entire Old Testament. So this is nothing compared to him. (laughs) Uh, So what I want you to do during this time is listen to the teaching. Oftentimes when we hear Jesus' words, it's in sound bites or little clips. And what I want you to do is think of this as a whole for Jesus to get to the end of chapter seven or really just the end of his sermon. He starts with the beginning in chapter five, right? It all builds on top of each other. And the assumption of Matthew is that if you're reading chapter seven, you have chapter five down pat. You know it super well, okay? So as I quote it to you, I want you to put yourselves in those shoes. You're an early church member in uh, Jerusalem or Antioch, and you are listening to a traveling preacher that has memorized this portion and is sharing it with you. You've maybe heard Matthew a couple times or heard stories from it a couple times, but you've never heard the full Sermon on the Mount in one go. So listen. And if you can with me, if I forget anything or I pause for a long amount of time, just be following with me close enough that you can think of what I just said and start thinking about that, right? Meditation literature, we're we're letting it, again, knead into our brains so that we can understand what Jesus has for us. So 
Does that sound good? And then afterwards, we'll do some questions. I can, I don't think I have all the answers, but I have three years of reflection that I can give responses to any questions you may have. Uh, in the early church, that's probably what happened. If someone delivered Paul's letter, they'd quote it, and then they'd be like, hey, what did Paul mean when he said this? And then the person would be like, oh, well, this is what he told me to say to you, or this, when he was writing it, this is what he was talking about. So I'll try to practice that with you as well. So does that sound good? All right, will you pray with me? <coughs> Father, we love you. Thank you so much for this time. And thank you that uh, you've just given me the grace to have a brain that's able to do this. Um, none of this is uh, me. This is you and your words. So may you be glorified in this today. Jesus, may your words flow through me with the same emotion and attitude you had. Um, but make it for dispute right here, right now. And Spirit, I pray that you would keep our minds awake and alert. May you, for certain things just stick out to people that you're already working in here. Um, and may it speak to our souls. We need you, God. I need you. So I pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let me take a drink of water. And you can darken the screen. Just turn it off. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, for your reward in heaven is great. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Don't think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, 
until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, who, if anyone breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of God. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of God. You have heard that it is said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the courts. Whoever says, you idiot, will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering a gift on the altar, and there you remember, your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled with your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary, while you're on your way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you'll never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, whoever divorces his wife causes, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it is said to our ancestors, you must not break your oaths, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Don't swear by your head, because you can't make a single hair white or black, but let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him as well. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you. And don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those 
supposed to be, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the wicked and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will that get you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles do, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your heavenly Father, your Father in heaven, knows the things you need before you even ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this: Our Father in heaven, may Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive yours as well. But if you do not forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive you your offenses. When you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, since they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, wash your face and put oil on your head so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Hmm. No one can serve two masters since he will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat and what you'll drink, or about the body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one inch to his height by worrying? Or observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So, don't worry about your life. Saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? <laughs> Since the Gentiles eagerly seek all of those things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of those things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye. And look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. For hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? <laughs> or if a son asks him for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good things to your children, 
how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the way and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree, if it doesn't produce good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine and acts on them, he will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse, because its foundation was on bedrock. But if anyone hears these words of mine and does not act on them, he'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Matthew 5 to 7. So as John said, I, how do you want to, I'm going to pull a swivel up yeah, so I sure. can sit next to I'll you actually. Um, how did you, how did you want to proceed? Do you want to just ask them yeah. if they had any questions um, or how do you want to do that? Does anyone have any questions about that teaching? Let's stick that to him. Kent? Um, what was your method and how long did it actually take was the question. 
I use a program called Scripture Typer to hold all the verses. I don't actually type out every verse, otherwise they're memorized in my hands and not my mouth. So if I want to know a verse, I have to type it out and then I can say it. <laughs> um, but in, in basic, I memorized a verse a day by reading it 10 times out loud and then quoting it 10 times out loud and then revisiting it every day. Um, if I wanted to, I could have done it in 112 days, and I think everyone here probably can um, if you did one a day and you dedicated that time to it. For me, I was super on and off, so it took about three years. Um, I did chapter five within probably two months and because I just was excited about it. And then I kind of took a break for like a year and then came back with Matthew 6. And then right before we went on the trip to Portugal, I memorized the rest of chapter seven. So really just... Uh, so I just memorize it verse by verse. So I'll just do one, and then once in a while I'll combine them all together and recite the whole thing, and just to make sure I have it glued together in my mind. But yeah. John mentioned the app Scripture Typer. That's a great one. There's also yeah. one that I use called uh, Remember Me. Mm -hmm. Remember Me. And also, if you pull out your growth guide, at the challenge where I challenge you to memorize that one verse, there's a link to a short article that I did on how to memorize just about anything, including the scriptures. And so there's a process there that you can follow. What else? Other questions? So I'm going to repeat the question for the video and okay. audio. Sure. Uh, after it says that the crowds were astonished, mm -hmm. after that, is there any other record of any kind of response from anyone? Um, honestly, I would just go read the passage because I'm not super familiar with that part right at the end. Um, but I remember reading it, and basically Jesus just gets up and leaves and goes somewhere else. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, if you notice, in a, in a pattern in the Bible is when Jesus had a bunch of crowds, his growth strategy was to say something really unpopular, <laughs> and then all the crowds would leave him. <laughs> so he would wait for a bunch of crowds and say, hey, you have to drink my body, or you have to drink my blood and eat my body to follow me. And crowds were like, what the heck is that? And they would leave. <laughs> so he probably did something like that. Is that right? Cool. Read it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it sounds like the response was there were large crowds that followed him and he proceeded with healing, yeah. mm -hmm. healing some people, which is probably kind of a they feed off of each other. If you're healing people, large crowds will follow you. And that. Sure. <laughs> so, John, you and I were talking about the different 
takes that people have on the Sermon on the Mount. Sure. What uh, can you summarize those really? Yeah. Briefly. So I think probably the most popular one, at least in the tradition that is kind of our churches within, mm-hmm. um, and the one I, at least I grew up in with homeschool co-op and other Christian circles I've been. Um, probably the most popular is they people focus on the be perfect, therefore the heavenly Father is perfect, and they go, well, I can't do that. So this whole sermon must be about I just really can't do this, and that's it. You know, like. I just need Jesus, and then I'll be okay. Um, I think that's super simplistic. And if you read James, which is one of the letters by Jesus' brother, um, he actually quotes the Sermon on the, Mount, on the Mount like crazy. Like, it was in his head very strongly. And one of the first verses it says there is, um, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, lacking in nothing. Um, and there's other verses that say we are being perfected by Jesus. And so w- what I would bring back to there is, yes, in order to do everything on the Sermon on the Mount, you need Jesus. He needs to be your rock, right? If he's not my rock, then I'm going to come a tumbling down. <laughs> but if he is, then this, this sermon does outline the way I become perfected in Christ. It's not just by doing actions, but it's by asking what's the wisdom behind the action. When Jesus sees the commandment, do not murder in the Old Testament, he sees Cain and Abel in the first story of murder, and he sees that, wow, how did that start? Well, anger ruled over Cain, and then he came and murdered Abel. So what's the problem? It's, yeah, we are all against murder, but there's something in our hearts that wants to remove people from existence, either in our minds or in reality, when we don't like them, right? And that's a that's a serious problem. I need a heart change, and that only comes through Jesus. One of the one of the things that might give insight into that is when we think of perfection, because of our English word perfection, yeah. we're thinking of completely without fault, and that is part of the meaning of the word that's used there. It's teleos, yes. mm-hmm. and but that is also used for maturity or completeness. Yeah. So a child becomes perfect when he is fully grown. That's, that, could be, that same word would be used there. So it's the idea that, like especially in the James passage, that, that the perseverance through trial matures you and brings you to maturity or the way it's translated, perfection. So it's not sinless perfection, it is maturity, it is wholeness, it's completeness in Christ, in Christ right? right? Yeah, so John and I were talking about this before, and I remember, I remember my early reflection on the Sermon on the Mount was, I think, in large part, what Jesus is doing is twofold. One is he's showing you and showing the people you think you've got it all together because you haven't murdered anybody, you haven't committed adultery, you haven't whatever. But he's trying to say, you still need a savior. Mm-hmm. You don't think you need a savior, but I can tell you, you do. Because, oh, I've never murdered anybody. Well, have you been angry at somebody? Didn't you just call your, your brother an idiot? You know, that kind of thing. Well, just like John was saying, that's the root of that. It's the interior. You still need a savior. You're still broken. You're still sinful. Um, and, but 
I do think also, uh, like John was hinting at, this is, this is a standard to reach for, but I think that all shows, shows you your need for a savior yeah. because you need forgiveness for the past because you've blown it, you, you, you're, you're sunk. And if you're going to live this way, you need a power that you don't have right now. And God provides that through his Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, from Matthew 5 to 7, he's the one that in secret I grow with to become like him. Any other questions? One more. Anybody else? Okay. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I'm there. Well, I don't know. <laughs> go ahead, Heather. Yeah. It's going to be on video and audio. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Mama, you have a question? There's a slight joke, I think, in it, but he was like, hey, it's better to be a mutilated body in heaven than <laughs> a whole corpse in hell. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But something that I've, I think someone did this with me where they're like, hold your hand out. And then I held it out and they like went out with their hand. They're like, what if I cut this off right now? What is your first in instinct? And I'm like, oh, I need it. I need it. Like, I need that. Um, and at least, I, I, for one, Jesus doesn't actually mean to gouge out your eye and cut off your hand. There's tons of stories of monks back in like the second to fifth century that actually did that, and then they were disappointed because it didn't end their lust struggle and it didn't end <laughs> their anger struggle um, because Jesus is saying, he's not saying don't, like that's not gonna end it, it's a heart issue. Um, and what we need to do is take drastic measures, even get rid of things we think we need for something that is only brought to us through pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? If I, if I can lean on that promise that he's going to take care of everything I provide, if I just seek him, then that means I can live without a hand. I can live without the need. That's, I can live without social media. I can live without that show. I can live without um, doing this popular thing because I, I've counted the cost, and that's going to hurt me much more in this life than this. So, does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. Sure. Lower. And that was a great translation. What translation did you memorize? That was the CSB. CSB, yeah. Christian the, Standard the Bible. The only thing I changed was when can any amount of worry make you one inch taller? Um, because in the Greek, that word for lifespan or at a moment is literally the word inch. So Jesus is trying to get into my mind. Like, if you can look into a mirror as hard as you can, is that going to make you an inch taller? And that's like his image of worry. Mm. 
Um, so yeah. sometimes I'll switch between those. Yeah. So as usual, we are going to have an opportunity to gather up in our groups, and you'll get to uh, manage that together. Uh, make sure that you have a little group that can meet together and go through those discussion questions. But let me close us out with this. Remember, our whole theme throughout this series is that the point of the Bible is to point you to Jesus. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, was pointing, to you, pointing you to your need for him. And so in your growth guide, you see there the encouragement to say yes to Jesus, to surrender your life to him because you do need forgiveness for the past. You did not live up to the standard that he laid out in the Sermon on the Mount. And he wants you to flourish, to live this kind of life. And so he gave his life for that forgiveness and then was raised to life so that you could live a new life as well in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, you, his church, are described as the body of Christ. You can't do it, but Christ can live his life through you. Say yes to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you preserved it and inspired it and made it possible for it to be presented to us nearly 2,000 years later, to hear it as you presented it. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to empower, to speak to us through your word, that we would be encouraged and inspired. And I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. We pray this in Jesus' name.